0: the Gospel of Mark. It is the second book in the New Testament as far as order goes, but but scholars and historians believe that it was the first book that was originally written. So we're looking at the earliest recorded document about the life and the person of who Jesus is. And really the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark are trying to just answer that question, who is he? Who is this guy? And why in the world would he be at all relevant for someone like us? So we find ourselves today, tonight, in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read um, this, this longer passage, 20 verses, and um, then we'll take a look at it. Here's what it says. It says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. A crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in and out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things and parables and in his teaching said, listen, listen. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others... Like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, 30, 60 or even a hundred times what was sown. This is God's word for us tonight. let me pray and then we'll consider it together. Cool. let's pray. Father, thank you that you have promised to meet with us when we open up your word. Thank you that you have promised to teach us by your spirit, and so would you be so gracious as to do that now? Would you meet us wherever we find ourselves? I know some of us are exhausted, just ready to get out of town, ready to get back home. Others of us have so much to do that as we look forward to the break, it really is not going to be much of a break, but just a chance to catch up on life and to catch our breath. Others of us come into this room just overloaded with guilt or loneliness or sadness or excitement and great joy. Father, wherever we find ourselves tonight, will you meet us, please? And by your grace, will you teach us? Will you open up your word? Will you open up our heart? Make it soft so that your word would penetrate and um, change us from the inside out. And we would ask all this in the sweet name of Jesus. Amen. Well, really, one of my favorite things about doing RUF as I get to know you is getting to have conversations with you primarily about your questions, about your doubts, about your struggles with what you're thinking about, what you're wrestling with as far as what you believe and how Christianity makes sense and all that stuff. So, a couple of years ago, I was having a conversation with one of the students at my old school, and we were in the coffee shop hanging out, and he had come to RUF a few times, but he let he let me kind of know on the front end. Uh, he didn't believe any of this stuff, and he considered himself an atheist. And we have this great conversation, of, you know, dialoguing about what he believes and thinks and questions he had. And so he asked me this question. He said, "If Christianity is true, then why doesn't everyone believe it? If Christianity is so apparently true, then why in the world does everybody just not jump on board?" Now. I could have easily just asked him the same question. Well, if atheism is true, why do not everybody believe it as well? But I don't think that's really what he was getting at. I, I, I don't know. But if what he was asking is, here's this question that undermines Christianity, it's not a good question. But if his question really is, I'm curious as to know why some people respond to Christianity and some don't, then that's a great question. I mean, think about it. Why is it that you can have two people... Who are raised in the same educational background, the same culture, the same city, sometimes even the same family, and you have some one of them responds to Jesus with faith and with devotion, and the other person thinks it's stupid, shrugs the whole thing off, and kind of pieces out. Why is that? Well, really, this passage that we just read in Mark chapter four is the big, is the longest teaching of Jesus up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, which is why your handout is so long. But Jesus is teaching this extended discourse to answer that question. Why do some people respond and some people don't? And the answer he provides, he says, it's all about how you hear. It's all about how you hear. So really, from verse 1 all the way through verse 34, which I didn't include, but verse 1 through 34, the verb to hear is used 13 times. And really, the first word right out of his mouth And verse 3 is what? Listen. So Jesus is going to show us that there's actually four different ways to hear. There's four different ways to respond to God's word. And the way that he sets this up is he tells this parable, this story, to describe this. And he kind of says, okay, there's this farmer that's throwing out this seed, which, as he explains in verses 13 through 20, he explains the point of this story, that the seed represents the word that's going forth, and there's different types of paths different types of ground, which represent different ways of hearing, different ways of responding to the word. So really what I want to do for the rest of our time is just walk through these four different types of hearing that he lays out. We'll just kind of walk through these individually. And just to set it up, the first three, he's going to say, these are bad ways of hearing. And then the last way, he's going to tell you the good way. Okay? So here's the first bad way of hearing, if we can even put it that way. The first bad way of hearing is what we're going to call Hard hearing. Hard hearing. You see this in verse 4, where it says that the word falls on the hard path, or the seed falls on the hard path, and because the seeds can't get into the soil, they're on the surface and they're exposed to birds, and the birds come along and eat it. So if, you know, you kind of picture footpaths on campus or even around town where there's grass, and people, you know, you're supposed to walk on the sidewalk, but they kind of cut through the grass, and after a while kind of this footpath gets worn where the grass isn't growing, and the dirt there is really hard and compressed, and if you were to throw seed on that to try to plant something, it wouldn't get into the soil because the soil is hard. And Jesus is saying, that's an image, that's a picture of what hard hearing looks like. The word comes to you, but it just bounces off. Now what does that look like practically? Like for you? To have the word kind of bounce off of you? I think one example of hard hearing would be the word comes to you either in a format like this where somebody's opening it up and teaching it to you or you know, you're talking about it with a friend or you're interacting with the Bible yourself. And the way that you respond to it is just flat out skepticism, just suspicion, just rolling your eyes like, oh my goodness, people still believe this stuff. People still believe this mythical, weird stuff. It just bounces off of you. That's one way that would be a hard form of hearing, Another hard form of hearing would be um, the word comes to you. It's, It's preached in this sort of context. And maybe because you're so familiar with the Bible, maybe because you've grown up in church, you think deep down, yeah, okay, I've heard all this before. I'm sure some of you are doing this right now because you've heard this particular passage preached like 800 times maybe in your whole life. And you're like, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it. There's nothing new for me to be gained right now. So I can kind of zone out, I can tune out. It's hard hearing. You're not letting it penetrate. The the word's not getting in. Or another form of hard hearing would be uh, as you hear somebody teaching or something like this, you're only thinking about other people. You know what I mean? Where you're like, man, I really wish my mother were here to hear this right now. Or you know, the sermon or whatever is about criticism or being judgmental. You're like, man, I really wish my roommate were here to hear this. And all you're doing is you're just thinking about someone else. And you're just, for you yourself, you're not taking the time to let it sink into your heart. You're just giving the word the Heisman, as it were, and it's, you're just thinking about someone else. Or, sort of another form of hard hearing is that, you know, you go to Panera or you go to whatever coffee shop you do your thing at, and uh, you bring your Bible, or you're in your room, you have your Bible open, you've got your coffee in the morning, you've got your journal, and you're going to read the Bible. And you read the Bible long enough... To deal with your guilt over having not read the Bible that week. And then you're done reading the Bible and you feel like, okay, my guilt is assuaged. I've read, I've done my, I've had my quiet time. And you close up the Bible and you kind of put it down and you go about your day and you have no idea what you just read. It doesn't get in. It doesn't sink in. It's, it's hard hearing. This, this is kind of like, you know, anytime you update your software or you download something, download an app. They make you click that box that says that you have read the Terms of Agreement, and you click the box knowing full well no one in the history of humanity has ever read the entire Terms of Agreement, but you click it, and you don't read it. And that's what hard hearing is like. I click it, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it. Never read it, never gets in. Hard hearing. Now we could just jump to the second form of hearing, but... The passage gets a little weird in verse 15 where he says that the birds that come and take the seed away actually represent Satan that are coming and taking the word away from you. And that's just weird enough and spooky enough and close enough to Halloween where I feel like I just need to take two minutes and explain what in the world that's talking about. Here's what this is basically talking about. Satan never comes in and makes you do things against your will that are bad. It's like he comes into your body and overrides your mind and makes you do these horrible things. In other words, Satan doesn't make good people bad, which, by the way, yes, we do believe in Satan, and I know that may be weird for you. We can get milkshakes to talk about that. Satan doesn't make good people bad. Satan makes flawed people worse. In other words, all he does is he takes the pre-existing junk in your life and just aggravates it. And turns up the volume on what is already there. So, for example, if you're a bitter person, you find yourself bitter. What Satan does is he comes in through that door, as it were, and cranks up the volume on your bitterness so that when the word comes to you and offers you encouragement and hope, you don't hear it because the volume of your bitterness is so loud. Or let's just say that you're a prideful person. All he does is he cranks up the volume on your pride, and so you can't hear the call to humble yourself, the call to repent. This is basically what's going on here, and so it you know it reminded me of this example when I was in college. Uh, I went with another campus ministry to the beach for a summer, and there were six guys living in one motel room, a small motel room, six guys for the summer, so you can imagine it got. Nasty. There were three sets of bunk beds that we all lived in. We were crammed. It was awful. But the worst situation about this living arrangement was the one trash can that we had in the kitchen. There was one trash can that we had in the kitchen, and we had this rule of thumb set up that whoever was the person to kind of put the last piece of trash in to kind of fill up the trash can, that was the person that was responsible for tying it up and taking the bag and kind of taking it to the dumpster. Which of course. Just made this internal, you know, competition between all of us to be like, okay, I'm not the last person to put the trash, you know, to fill up the can, as it were. So we, we would delicately place our piece of trash on the top, and uh, as long as it didn't spill over. We felt like, okay, there's still room. There's still more room for someone else to come along. And so this this pile of trash would start piling up, and it was this towering, leaning thing of trash billowing up the top of the can until eventually it did sort of topple over, and no one owned responsibility for it. No one owned it and said, okay, I was that person. So no one cleaned it up. And so it just got so bad that no one was dealing with it. We would literally be in the other room and drink like a Coke or something and finish it and just sort of throw it into the general vicinity of where the trash can was and it would bounce off the trash can and land on the floor and it was just trash <laughs> trash everywhere and it was a, a summer of us wallowing in our own filth and um, it was awful. But here's, here's my question. Is that you? Not the trash, your living hygiene situation, but is that you in the sense that the word comes to you and it can't get in, it just bounces off and falls off. Are you, are you hearing in a way that is hard right now? You have to ask yourself that question. That's the first bad form of hearing that Jesus kind of lays out for us. But he gives us a second one. Here's the second one. The second form of bad hearing we're going to call superficial hearing. And you see this in verse 5 initially. He calls it rocky soil, which means that there's this layer of rock that's about two inches underneath the soil. So you've got soil, two inches of soil, rock underneath it, so that if you were to take like a stake or something and drive it in the ground, it would quickly you know, hit the rock underneath it. So if you were to plant something there, the seed would sprout and grow, and the roots would go down, but they would only go down about two inches before they hit the rock, and they would not be able to go any further. So this thing sprouts up, and when the sun comes up, which normally would be a welcome thing to a plant, because it doesn't have the, the root structure, it can't get the water to deal with the heat. And so it withers away and dies. And his point, as he explains this in verse 16, is that this is like someone who receives the word, who receives the gospel initially with joy, with enthusiasm. Which is really startling, if you think about it, that you can receive the joy with, that you can receive the word with enthusiasm and it lead to this road of where you eventually kind of walk away from it. So think about it. What is it like to, to be spiritually enthusiastic? Maybe this is some of you where you find yourself uh, you know, in certain worship events where you uh, are weeping, where you've cried in a worship service, uh, where you get goosebumps. Uh, Where where you're connecting with God in such a way where your eyes are closed, your hands are raised, and you really do feel like, I'm worshiping God, and I'm so enthralled with his presence, I don't care what anybody else thinks. And while that is not necessarily wrong at all, the startling thing about that is, as Jesus goes on to say, you can receive the word with that sort of joy, that sort of enthusiasm, that sort of excitement, but then something happens. And here's what he says. He says, but then persecution comes into your life because of the word. In other words, you start to experience suffering. Suffering comes into your life. And in other words, the sun, gets, the sun comes out. The heat gets turned up. And, and, and normally in the life of a Christian, suffering would be a welcome thing in the sense of we know that God uses suffering as a way to mold us, to shape us, to encourage us. But for this particular person, the heat doesn't make them stronger as a plant, as it were. The heat withers them. The suffering destroys them. This reminds me of a student that I worked with a couple of years ago who was involved in our ministry, who was involved in RUF. She was, uh, from, from my vantage point, from everybody else's vantage point, was, was growing as a Christian, was connecting with God, was, was you know, coming to stuff, was a rising leader, was going to conferences. And she had a boyfriend that one day broke up with her. And she was so devastated. And because that was not the way that her life was supposed to go, she just she walked away from the faith. She just punted Christianity as a whole. Now, how do you explain that? How do you explain someone loving Jesus one moment, and then the next moment, you know, I'm kind of done with this? Here's how you can explain it. It's really easy to love Jesus when things are going well. It's really easy to love Jesus when things are going well. When when you're connected in worship and it's awesome. When you've got friends that surround you and they're encouraging you and they're praying for you and they're cool. Uh, You're you're being seen as a leader. It's really easy to confuse loving the benefits of following Jesus with actually loving Jesus. And what's scary about that is that you you can be a good person and you can live a good life, and you can come to RUF, and you can go to your church and be involved in this and that, you can love teaching Bible studies, you, you can be an RUF campus minister and not actually love Jesus, not actually be a Christian. How would you know? The way that you would know is how you respond to suffering. Because what God does when he introduces suffering into your life is he strips away some of the benefits Of following Jesus. It's no longer rainbows and ice cream and butterflies. It's like it's painful, it's costly, it's costing you something to follow Jesus. And so suffering makes you ask the million dollar question Is Jesus enough? If everything in my life gets stripped away, all the benefits, all the pleasures, all the comforts of following Him, if all of that gets stripped away and all I have left at the end of the day is Him, is He enough? Is that you? Do you have superficial hearing, where you hear the word, you're even excited about it, but when something bad happens in your life, it rocks you in such a way that you're just ready to punt the whole thing? That's called superficial hearing. Here's the third bad way of hearing, the third bad form. So we've looked at hard hearing, superficial, and now we're gonna look at divided hearing. Divided hearing. Here's this next image that you see in verse seven. It's of this seedling that starts to sprout. So there's, there's real hope for this particular third option here. But because it's growing up in this garden that is infested with weeds, weeds are growing up alongside of the plant. And the weeds start wrapping around themselves, wrapping around the plant, entangling the plant, and eventually choking it out. Just creeping up behind it and choking it out like a ninja. And that's what... The image I think Jesus wants us to think about as ninjas here. So, so the weeds are choking out the plant. And Jesus' explanation of this is found in verses 18 through 19. He says, This is like someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word. And here's what he's saying He's saying, If, if your heart is divided, and there are things that are jockeying for your heart's primary allegiance and loyalty and affection, it will choke out your spiritual life. Spiritually speaking, you will suffocate. And here's how this works. It's not, it's not that those things are bad things. It's, that it's just that you, you love them too much. So think about it like this. Um, I love my wife. I love my job. And I love the show The Walking Dead. Those are three things that I love But there is an appropriate order and a hierarchy to those three loves of mine. So if I love my job more than I love my wife, then that means I spend too much time in my work and I neglect my family and that's... Did did my thing just go out? Hello? Okay, you can still hear me. That means that my, uh, I spend too much time at work, I neglect my family, and my life goes out of whack as a result of my loving my job too much. So The order is out of whack. If, if I love The Walking Dead more than I love my job, I'm going to spend too much time watching The Walking Dead, which may not be a bad thing. But if it, costs, if it, if it makes me not work and I lose my job, then that's a bad thing. Then your life gets out of whack as a result of your order, your love being disordered. So my point is, you may love good things, but if they're, if they're functionally filling something in your heart that only God can fill, then your life is going to be thrown out of whack as a result. Which brings me to the great Mumford and Sons line of the night. This is, this is a... Um, it's not that great. It's not that great of a line, but it's it's thought provoking nonetheless. But they say this in their song, "Roll away your stone." It go. The, the lines go. You told me that I would find a hole within the fragile substance of my soul. Translation: There's a hole in my soul, which is which is uh, very profound. There's a hole in my soul. I have. Here's the good line, though. <laughs> I, I have filled this void with things unreal. And all the while, my character, it steals. Now, that is a good line. Because it's saying, look, when you fill that, that void, that chasm in your soul, with something that's not God, it steals your character. It steals your life. It chokes you out. That's the same point Jesus is making. So, you know, for a lot of you, if, especially if you claim to be Christians, my guess is if I were to hand you a written test right now and say, you know, is Jesus your savior? On the test, on the exam, you would say, yes, he's my savior. But that's your theoretical theology. If we were to look at your practical theology, your day in and day out life, I think your answer would maybe potentially be something different. Meaning on paper you would say, yeah, Jesus is my savior. But functionally speaking, for some of you, it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend that's your savior. Meaning they're the person that I look to to get my deepest happiness, my deepest sense of stability, my deepest sense of security. Jesus is my theoretical savior and like theological la la land that doesn't really matter but real life speaking it's him or it's her and what that does is that because you've prioritized your boyfriend or girlfriend above Jesus your life spins out of whack your life gets out of control translation you're way too insecure and you're analyzing every text message that they send you is this is this uh, you're analyzing the the frequency or the infrequency of how often they're communicating with you you're always trying to manage your their perception of you and then when the relationship you know, hits rocky ground or you break up, you're completely devastated because they were the source of your happiness. They were the source of your joy that's taken from you. Your life is unraveling. Your life is falling out of whack because your, your loves are disordered. You know, for you, it may not be your boyfriend or girlfriend. It may be your family. But your deepest sense of joy comes from your place in your family. Or your deepest sense of joy comes from your, you, know, you feeling like you're involved or popular or your money or whatever. So the question really is, is that you, though? When the word comes to you, do you receive it, but because your heart is so divided, your spiritual life is just suffocating? Because you love things, you love good things, in an unhealthy way. So those are the three bad forms of hearing. So what's the good way? What's the good way that Jesus is going to suggest we're going to call it receptive hearing. And we'll look at this lastly and briefly. And you find this fourth image, the good option, in verse 8. And here's where Jesus says that the seed of the gospel falls on good soil. Okay, well, how do you know what's good? Well, he tells you in verse 20 that the thing that makes it good is that you don't just hear the word, but you accept it. You don't just you don't, you don't just it doesn't just go in your ears, but you internalize it. And the way to really understand what it means to accept it means that you have to to contrast it with the first three forms of hearing. In other words, instead of hard hearing, where it just initially bounces off of you, you receive it immediately. To be re, to, to be a receptive hearer of the word means that you receive it now, immediately. Meaning you don't say to yourself, you know. College is the time in my life where I really can live it up and enjoy these four or five or six years of to kind of do whatever I want and then when I graduate maybe I'll start taking this religious stuff seriously. Maybe when I have a family, maybe we'll start, I'll start thinking about church then. Receptive hearing means that you receive it now, immediately. You wrestle with it now, like right now now, like right the second now. And instead of, you know, not just hard hearing, instead of superficial hearing, where you receive the word in a shallow sense, to accept it means that you receive it deeply. You take it all the way in. You you wrestle with it. You do the hard mental, spiritual work and labor of wrestling with it. And not just settling for cheap, spiritual, cotton candy answers to really hard questions, but that you do the hard work of... Processing and dialoguing and fighting and interacting with it. You receive it deeply. And instead of divided hearing, where you receive the word but it gets choked out by all your other loves, you, that means that you receive it exclusively. And what I think that means practically is that when you start identifying the weeds in your life, the things that are choking out your spiritual life, you, you go to war on them. You start pulling them out. And we doing, you know, pulling weeds is hard work. But you start going to war on the things that are suffocating your spiritual life. So when you begin to identify, okay, I love what other people think of me a lot more than I love Jesus, when you identify that, you go to war on it. You try to pull it and uproot it out of your heart. When you see, okay, I love sex a whole lot more than I love Jesus. You start going to war on that and start pulling it out of your heart. When you when you identify in yourself, I, just, I love me time a whole lot more than I love Jesus, you go to war on it. You pull it out. That's what it means to be a receptive here. To, to accept it means that you receive it immediately, deeply, and exclusively. And then look what happens. The result is this unbelievable harvest of fruit. Jesus says 30, 60, even 100 times the crop that you get, which, by the way, just to kind of set your reference point for what would be a basic, standard, you know, Middle Eastern <laughs> harvest income, would be about tenfold. Tenfold would be the normal thing. And Jesus is saying, when you take the word in this way, you get this explosion of fruit, this unbelievable harvest of fruit. And what's fruit? Fruit. The Bible, later in the Bible, the New Testament, Paul says that fruit is this explosion in your life of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. In other words, your life gets radically transformed when you receive the word in this way. And that, I think, before we close, that just raises the question of how. How, when you take the word in like this, how does that transform you like that? Well, you have to remember what the the actual seed is, what the word is. The word comes to you not as a system of do's and don'ts, not as a system of rules, but rather as a story. And you think about it. If I were to you know, write out a list of all these things that you should do and all these things that you shouldn't do and handed them to you, that's not going to inspire you or motivate you or transform you in any way. Maybe you'll be motivated initially to kind of do it, but there's no long-term motivation there. But a good story, part of the reason why stories are just so massive in our world and in our culture, why they're so popular, is because a good story will motivate you, inspire you, and transform you, and, and, and change you. And so the gospel comes to you not as a system of rules, but as a story. And the story is the story of God, who is the farmer, pursuing you, leaving heaven, as it were, to come down to get you. But not just to come down in the person of Jesus, but to go all the way to the cross to take the very thing that stood between you and him, your sin. the consequences of your rebellion. He takes on himself. He pursues you all the way to his own death. But really, his pursuit of you doesn't stop 2,000 years ago on the cross. His pursuit of you continues right this second. Because for some of you, this may be your first time to RUF ever. Others of you, this may be your 50th time to RUF. And what's he doing as we speak right this second? He's throwing the word out to you to give you one more chance, one more opportunity. He's pursuing you right now. And I think the fact that you're in this room right this second is the fact that, could, could it not be possible that maybe God is on the hunt for your heart? And maybe every other time you've responded to the word, you've responded with hard hearing or with divided hearing or with superficial hearing. And look at how aggressive and patient and faithful he is. He's still pursuing. He's still coming after you. Every time you failed, every time i failed, he's still coming at you. Here's the word. Here's the gospel. Will you respond? Will you respond? Will you respond? And So the invitation I want to leave you with tonight, for you and for me, and my prayer for you and for me, is that we would not just hear the word, but that we would accept it. We would take it in deeply, exclusively, immediately. And we really would see, in time, this massive transformation in our character and in our life. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for you. And that's the invitation for you tonight. So let me pray. Father, we we are encouraged by the fact that you don't give up on us. Your love, it never runs out. It never gives up on us. You keep coming after us. You keep throwing the word at us. You keep giving us chances to repent, to respond, to turn. Father, will you be so gracious to us as to enable us to repent, to respond? Will you enable us by your grace to hear the word, to accept it, to take it deep into our heart? Not just let it bounce off, but maybe for the first time tonight to respond with faith. Would you be so gracious as to do that? Transform us, change us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.